Okay, so welcome everybody to this webinar today. My name is Tracy Stanley. Um, I'm Director of Library Services at Cardiff University, and I'm going to be hosting the session today. This is part of the Vice Chancellor's series of anti-racism talks. Um, Michelle Alexis, who is chair of our Race Equality Steering Group, is leading these on behalf of the university. And this is a series of events which will run for two years and cover a range of different disciplines. Um, I'm pleased to welcome our panel members to speak today. Um, we have Marilyn Clark here, who is Director of Library Services at Goldsmith University, and Abid Quinaziz, who is Programme Director for the MA in Social Work Programme at Cardiff University. We're also hoping to be joined by Regina Everett, Assistant Chief Operating Officer for Service Excellence and Library Director. I'm going to start with just a short summary, really, to set the scene for our discussion today. So when we talk about decolonizing the curriculum, we're talking about how we can create spaces and resources within the curriculum for historically marginalized voices. In particular, we're looking to address the lack of representation of black and minority ethnic groups and voices in our curricula, um, which tends to reflect white Western intellectual traditions and worldviews. And this has a consequence of continuing to reinforce white Western dominance and privilege whilst also reinforcing stereotypes. Many of our academic disciplines have been influenced by a history of Western-centric thinking. Um, and one area of particular consideration is around the reading lists. If we cite mainly white Western men in our reading lists, we're reinforcing a world where the, only the knowledge that's produced by them is considered important or central to a discipline. So in this session, what I want to do is bring together some people who are working on a range of different initiatives to decolonize the curriculum, including both academic staff and library staff, and to explore how we can work more closely together to decolonize and diversify the learning and teaching in our institutions, our curricula, our professional practices, and learning resources, such as the library collections, reading lists, and our collection descriptions. I'm going to start with Marilyn. Um, Marilyn, could you start by telling us about the work you've been doing at Goldsmiths within the University Library Service there to liberate the library? Thank you, Tracy. And um, yeah, thank you for inviting me to speak today. Um, so we have a, an, an initiative at Goldsmiths uh, in the library called Liberate Our Library. And this has probably been um, operational for about the last four years. And it was established in around sort of late 2018 when there were when we were noticing a lot more student movements asking for change around representation in the curriculum and representation across academic staff as well, who they, who was doing the teaching. And you know, the campaigns like why is my curriculum white? Why isn't my professor black? So and all the, and this, what was happening in South Africa and the Roads Must Fall um, campaign and the Roads Must Fall Oxford as it came here, and not just you know in the South Africa and the UK but in America and you know a few other places around the world, there was a call for change, a call for action, and also our learning, teaching, and assessment strategy at Goldsmiths was a prime driver as well with, with its uh, the objective. The first objective of which is liberate our degrees and this came about because of action from the student union at the time to have that first and foremost as a pr the primary objective of um, of that strategy 
So we looked at that and thought, well, what can we do as a library, uh, as a library service to, you know, um, engage with that, that strategy and to engage with what was happening with student movements. So we, as I said, we established our Liberate Our Library working group and our initiative to look at diversifying the collection, decolonizing collections as well, and also um, introducing what we call resistance researching workshops, looking at critical information literacy. And we've also um, recently created a, or established a Liberate Zines collection as well. So our, one of the first things we did as part of the Liberate Our Library initiative was to ask for book suggestions from our staff and students, for, mainly from our students to find out from their point of view, what was missing, what was missing from our collections, where were the gaps, who wasn't being represented, which marginalized voices weren't, you know, on the shelves. Um, so we had quite a lot of interest at the beginning with that particular campaign, and we, we are still doing that. And, you know, the people would submit suggestions via a web form on our, our dedicated Liberate Our Library webpage. And then we, we buy those um, particular books and add them to the collection. And we also designed a, a book plate for the physical books so that they would be easily identified if people were browsing through books on the shelves. And then we also tagged each bibliographic record for those books with a, a 500, there's a note field that you can use in a bibliographic record. And then we tag them with um, Liberate My Degree. So we've actually got a collection, a searchable collection called Liberate My Degree, and people can search across that as a, as a collection in and of itself. So we've got around 400, just over 400 books uh, in, that, in that collection, and we were, we're still building that at the moment as well. So that was one of the first things that we did as part of that initiative. And, and then, you know, we, as I said, we re introduced um, resistance researching workshops as well, which maybe I can talk about later, um, which are delivered by academic, uh, our academic support team, um, leading change there, you know, to kind of educate and give our students tools to engage with some of the work that, you know, we're doing around um, decolonization. Just kind of following on from that then, Marilyn, can you tell us a bit about how you worked with the students to help them understand how to critically assess bias in resources? Yeah, so we had a series of workshops which we ended up calling resistance researching workshops. Um, we had around three, um, we're continuing to run those as well. We've been running them for probably the last three years now and, you know, and building on those each time we're adapting and changing them as, as we deliver them. And this is mainly came about to help students um, think more critically about how to find and use information from that our from a social justice perspective. So one of the ones, one of their workshops was called it's called Critical Approaches to Information Gathering. And it's critically accessing bias in library systems and um, proactively seeking multiple or multiple perspectives when you're information gathering. And just to, you know, we're trying to highlight to people that the biases that is, exist, for instance, in think, uh, Dewey, you know, the class, uh, not just Dewey, but classification systems and biases that uh, exist when you're searching using subject headings, Library of Congress subject headings, lots of them are, you know, outdated, they're inappropriate, they're contentious. 
So we're doing another piece of work around highlighting that as well. But that is, you know, for that particular workshop, that's the focus that we have. Great, thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's aligned with wider work across the university and perhaps where you've seen maybe tangible changes in the curriculum following the work that's been undertaken? I think probably in the, over the last two years, there's been more work um, across, across the university looking at the curriculum, engaging with um, decolonization and liberation. There, we as a library, we we met or you know what we 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 targeted ourselves. We wanted to meet with each academic department to speak to their heads of department, to speak to the learning and teaching uh, coordinators, just to find out what they were doing to engage with decolonization when it came to uh, their reading lists and their curricula. And out of those meetings, some groups were established and are still being established across, I mean, there's 19 different um, academic departments. So we found that, you know, more and more departments were um, established their own, establishing their own decolonizing groups as well. Uh, and then we were having conversations with them around, you know, their reading lists and decolonizing their reading lists, diversifying their reading lists. So that, that was kind of a direct consequence of the work that we were doing in the library. But now, um, at Goldsmith at the moment, they're carrying out a, what's called a comprehensive curriculum review where you know decolonization is top of the agenda and how how you know how um, particular sub subjects are taught uh, as well as you know what's being taught and what's on the curriculum. Great. Have you seen any other outcomes that you've observed for staff and students alike, Marilyn? I think just more, a lot more engagement, a lot more people wanting to be part of that conversation. I think at, at the beginning, was very, there were very few voices, but now I can see that there is engagement, you know, across across the university, across certainly across academic departments, in wanting to tackle tackle this problem, tackle why you know we have you know consistently have um, this award gap. How can we kind of you know tackle that? Through our, through our liberation work. So there is, there is a lot more engagement, as I said, and I think it's looking at an institution across the board. It's not just within the library, it's not just academic departments, but it's engagement across the board. It's got to come from you know, all levels within, within an institution, otherwise the focus you know, just gets lost. And mm -hmm. it's you know, about institutions admitting that there, is a, that there is a problem, that there is an issue, and then you know, collectively, looking at solutions. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Marilyn. I'm going to move on to um, Abid now. Um, Abid, from a, from a kind of disciplinary perspective, um, would you consider social work knowledge to be inherently based on Western values? I think, I think it is, and I, much of the theory and the writing around social work is very Western. Um, I think, I think for, for me, just thinking about decolonization, and, and it is a big big buzzword and everything. And for me, it's around the whole, the whole lot. It's around looking at power relations, how we reflect on the content, what we teach, what we learn, how it's different in all the different fields. Because I suppose for me, social work is part of what we do in social work or social work education. We train people who are judging and intervening and understanding different people's lives. And we give them the tools to do that 
but not necessarily on those people's lives, on other people's lives. So, so, so the kind of the list of things I think about around decolonizing in, in terms of social work, that we need to move away from those dom dominant paradigms or the dominant viewpoints. Um, and almost moving away from who, who, who the person important is. Um, and I, I just, while I was scribbling notes, I was just thinking about how when, when, we, when we're taught, we, we learn these particular ways. We focus on succeeding in university, not necessarily succeeding, not necessarily the family succeeding in their lives. And we almost turn those stories into our stories. So the other, the other bit I was thinking about in, in social work is about carrying out research. So we go into communities, we go and, 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 and a quote from Smith, who's a Maori author, we're trained to go to see, to name and to claim. And that's great. It'll get me qualified. What does it do to that person? And, and that whole thing about going out to discover and, and it just rings true for me about, you know, I come, I was born in Africa and Stanley went and discovered it. Like there was nothing there. This bloke went and found it. So, so yeah, that, yes, social work. I suppose the other part of it is it maintains social structures and these social structures, the British social structures. And we go through those kinds of phases, don't we? And if we look back through the last 30 years, um, we think about, how, how bad people are labelled, the feckless young mothers, the drug addicts, the... And I suppose the thing about decolonizing is taking a step back and looking at what's going, what's actually going on um, in Cardiff. You know, there's a huge um, street homeless, rough sleeper problem, and people talk about people being on, on spice and just being totally out of their heads. And they're seen as bad people. And it's great for in, in our social work to have conversations about what would you do if you had to live on the street for the next month and it was freezing cold? I'd be stoned out of my head if I <clears throat> luckily could. So yeah, the, I suppose centering on social work, but also looking more broadly and, and those conversations about thinking about unconscious biases. And I don't mean unconscious bias about <clears throat> do you necessarily prefer this kind of person or that kind of person, but we're fed unconscious biases around our understanding of the world. And our understanding of the world is shaped in a very narrow way by the authors that we read, but also the authors that teach us and how we're assessed based on what we learn. So, so you know, just, just ideas about being critical about all that. and. No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, well, it doesn't mean taking all white men authors off the reading list, but being really interested in the forces of racism and colonialism and the impact on the present, but it's not history, but it's current. And um, so it's looking at other fields, when I, when I was thinking about this, I was looking at other fields as well. And um, Olive, Pro Professor Oliver at Bristol, who's um, professor of slavery, but also memory, talks about, we almost put history down into those books, that that's what history is. And she talks very much about, actually it's about memory and communities have memory and people have memories. And we, the danger is 
becoming academic, we forget that. And, and we need to think much more critically about what we see as knowledge. So yeah, auditing reading lists are great, but not just about having a few more black authors. Um, sorry, my, my, phone, my phone's ringing. Um, and I, just for myself, I remember um, in the old days when I used to have time to read novels, I just, I don't know what, what led me to it. I just thought, I'm not gonna read any books by any white men for now, just for a bit, which made me have to look for other books. And do you know what? There's brilliant books out there. I mean, I'm, I'm back to it, but, but it opened my world. So looking at that, and as Marilyn said, engaging students in decision-making that I was educated in this way. So I'm a bit narrowed as well. But also thinking about who the speakers are, who, who comes to represent? What are the spaces like? What's a lecture theatre look like? What's a building look like? Um, the social work programme is in the Glamorgan building, which is an old county council hall. And you go in and there are statues of Greek heroes. And then you go into the committee rooms and there are portraits of actually of white men. There's now one woman in there. We're telling them something. We're showing them something. And we're showing them what's 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 right or what's wrong. What you're allowed to say. What you're not allowed to say. Um, so yeah, very much about really, really questioning what we do. And and um, SOAS in London have created a really good questioning toolkit that gets us to start thinking about it. So I'll go. I'll come back to social work later. But um, just yes, social work is. And each discipline is very much, and I can talk much more about what we're trying to do in social work. Yeah, I think it's so important that, that you flagged that it is much broader than the curriculum and it, you know, mm. it is around those other things, such as the buildings and the environment um, that we're working in studying in as well. Mm. Um, let's just come back to the curriculum a little bit, though, and just think about how, how have you got examples of where the curriculum can contribute to anti-oppressive practices from from perhaps your experience or that of colleagues? I suppose there's a growth in anti-racist in literature around anti-racism and looking at that kind of thing. Um, a few years ago, one, one of around admissions, one of the things we used to get was a, a student would get offered a place in late autumn, um, not late autumn, late spring, and to come on the course in September. And often they they message and say, have you got a reading list? And we didn't want to give them the course reading list because, you know, wait for that. We devised a list of novels and things like that to go and read because they they diversify your thinking. Um, one that, that just I'm reminded of, and it, this isn't, de well, it's not around race, but it is decolonizing. The book called A Street, a Street Cat Named Bob. Mm. And it was written by a man who is a big issue seller and a cat adopted him. And he's, I mean, he's not talking social work, but he's talking about the struggles of life. Yeah. So that, that kind of stuff, so real narratives. And um, I've just finished reading a book. Parks of, of an Unwanted Rainbow. Yeah. Um, it's a collection of poems and art by Paul Yusuf McCormack, who's, He's a great man who died a year ago. Um, he, he grew up in care because his, 
his mother wasn't married. He was of a Syrian background. They called him Paul, his name being Yusuf. Um, and as he grew, he, he um, became a carer himself and a foster parent. And he had, he had this awakening where he just started crying and wrote all this stuff. And that really, really traces a journey through care. So I can, I can give a reading list of, here's some research on care, but also read this, because that tells you what, that tells you what, what really shows, or that, that's what really, what really affects people. I suppose in, in social work, and um, again in Wales, we, we have the Social Services and Wellbeing Act, and really, really fundamental principles, one of five, is co-production and, and giving voice and control. So one of the things we've we moved to, so I'm a social work program at Cardiff, we have people who use services. Centrally, they, they're involved in interviewing students, they're involved in teaching students, they're involved in our management groups as well. And they don't give text responses, they give their response. Um, I think over the last couple of years, and I was involved in a journal that came out during COVID, where rather than just a set of academic articles, we included the voices of people who, who um, use services. And that just changes things. It, it's, it's a different way of decolonizing. It's about expanding, expanding people's understanding. Hmm. I've forgotten the question you asked me because I'm just on a ramble now. That's fine. I'm going to ask you, just as a follow-on to that, really, I'm going to ask you about how the students responded to that material. And I guess also how your colleagues responded to it as well, whether you know, they were raised eyebrows that this perhaps wasn't academic or what was that? No, um, no I think, I suppose in some ways, social workers go into this work because we actually like people. <laughs> We like people like learning about people we like interacting with people so so these kinds of things are just really really central and yeah the academic team it's funny i've not i've not i've not even thought of that question how did they take it um might be being program director i didn't even listen to them but, <laughs> but it's you know it feels like a really positive response and one of the things we did we did do and we thought about almost having it as as a set set thing that one once in your social work qualification, you should watch I Daniel Blake. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And yeah, sat in a room with 50 students and we watched it in total silence. And the kind of the pain that came out was really, mm -hmm. really powerful. And I think that trained social workers as well as the theory. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's no there's no resistance to it. Hmm. I think um, it's about finding the time to make it happen. And there's actually no resistance in the library section either. So if, if there, you know, this book will be on the shelf quite soon. Yeah. And across, sorry, and the other bit of work that I do is across social work programmes. So I've, 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 I've listened to some of the stuff that they're doing in other places. So like at Birmingham, and they mm. did, again, as Marilyn said, they, they opened out the reading list to students. And then they developed three or four pages of reading and links. And that's brilliant. It's just, what a brilliant resource. And there's stuff on there that I wouldn't have thought of. And why would I think of it? Mm. 
so so yeah so lots that's of something that you're looking to explore for for your work yeah. here in cardiff yeah i think here what we do is you know if you read something good tell me about it mm. but maybe doing something really formalized and like you say a, an, an online request list or a tell me about it maybe by a couple of paragraphs of why um so yeah we we need to formalize it much more okay just just finally then abid what do you I guess, what are the challenges really that you're seeking to address when you're training the next generation of social workers? What, do you look, what are you looking for really as an outcome, I guess, if we can boil it down to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose, again, focusing on Wales, we, we, we know the Senate has the Race Equality Action Plan. Um, and, I, and actually the meeting before this, I was with the lead social worker in, in Wales looking at how we embed anti-racism in social work practice. Because I think one of the things we did was that we, we moved into diversity or anti-oppressive practice and we forgot racism. And I, I just had a look at our standards, you know, our code of professional practice and national occupational standards. It doesn't say racism or anti-racism. It talks about diversity or oppression. Mm -hmm. So by my ambition over the next couple of years is to, to put racism really central in our discussions because it's there, we know it, we see it around us, people experience it, but we don't often name it or we worry about naming it. And it's a difficult conversation to have, but it's a really difficult place to live in. Hmm. So, so not having the conversation just adds to the difficulty and yeah, if we have a difficult conversation, we might go forward. It might hurt. You might have to think about doing things differently. Just that whole thing about looking at your curriculum. It's easier to run the stuff that you know rather than challenge yourself with stuff that you don't know and to explore that you might you might struggle to agree with. But we're a university. So hmm. yeah, that bringing it to the agenda, putting it on the front of the agenda. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. I'm going to move on now to um, Regina. Regina, can you hear us okay? Yes, I can hear you quite clearly. Can you hear me? We can. That's brilliant. Thank you, Regina. I'm sorry that we've had some technical problems getting you on the on this um, webinar this morning, but I'm glad that you can join us on the phone at least. So that's brilliant. It's great to have you here. Yes. So if I could ask you, Regina, about the book that you've recently edited, Narrative Expansions, which brings together current work on decolonizing the curriculum across academic libraries. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that book and in particular how, how academic libraries can address the historic legacies of colonialism through their work? Well, it's quite interesting because all of the um, insights that both Abbott and Marilyn shared are absolutely spot on. The reason why we, um, put together this book is that we wanted to document the, the existing practice. For the last um, couple of years, a number of colleagues across academic libraries, Marilyn um, uh, at Goldsmith as well, and Marilyn also contributes uh, to the work, along with Jess, who's the co-editor at University of the Arts London, and a number of other local London institutions, staff members have been sort of sharing their ideas about, you know, doing, yeah, uh, assessments of, of reading lists, um, how to embark on conversations about this work, um, and what it means in our practice, and what it actually means to to decolonize, because that in and of itself is a, a contested term. So, the, you know, the way academic libraries can sort of address these 
historic legacies is to to recognize them, to recognize the the impacts of of history and what that says, what voices we have in our collection, looking at the history, the culture, um, the the ideas that impact our custom and practice down to the terms that we use in cataloging, for example, and as Abbott said about what, what images we have within our spaces. But I think the beginning is to start to have the conversation and then to share that practice and then to, to consider along with your communities, whether you know, the students who often will take the lead in this space because they will be um, uh, vocal about what resources they, they need. Or you may see through your data evidence that um, where students may not be engaging and you can start to drill down to understand why you may have uh, gaps in degree awards, why you may have people who uh, certain populations who are more affected by academic misconduct and start to un unpick what, what that all means. And it, it all starts to form part of, a, of, of, of the, the same puzzle, really. Um, and so this collection is, is an opportunity for us to, to collect the work that we have thus far um, and to, to share it. And then for future professionals or developing professionals to build on that practice and challenge that practice. Brilliant. Um, what shifts have you seen so far in professional practices in libraries around this whole area? Well, I think people are starting to be a bit braver about having the conversations, but of course we, we can't, you know, sort of stop there. So we want to see the impact of the reading list. We, uh, you know, and again, as I've said, it's not about sort of, you know, sort of getting rid of, you know, um, specific authors. It's about, you know, widening perspective, the perspective and also us as librarians being clear about what our, what stories our collections tell us. Um, because, for example, there may be certain um, collections that, that will only tell us certain stories. So I've talked about SOAS, University of London. So the missionary archives tell stories specifically from the, um, the missionaries who are working um, sort of in Indian Africa in the colonial past. So you have to be quite honest about what that, what voices are amplified in that collection. And then signposts um, with our, our, you know, sort of students and our researchers to other areas that, that give a different perspective. So there is that, that conversation. Um, and then training with academics, because again, academics, you know, need, you know, sort of, sort of support and maybe looking at collections. We know that in libraries, for example, most of us will embark on big deals with specific suppliers, which will have um, content from specific types of authors. So we need to be aware of that and, and work with our academic colleagues to start to, to look more widely. And we are starting to see that uh, a, a lot more. So uh, I, I am starting to see shifts. Um, but again, from a very practical perspective, you know, we need to be, you know, sort of walking the talk. What does our staffing look like? What cult, you know, what messages are we sending culturally from, you know, from the leadership of the institution? That all has to be included as well. So within libraries, um, we've now got three, <laughs> three um, uh, global ethnic ma uh, majority uh, uh, directors um, in our well, at least in the Sconal membership library. So we're looking to expand that because that tells the story, as I've pointed out, 
you know, it tells something to our students when they look around and look for um, sort of signals that, that speak to them. So I, we're starting to have those conversations and we're starting to develop professionals through, through the, the um, through the, uh, the, the different grades so that we can start to impact that a, that a, a bit more. So we're starting to see some green shoots, but we, we just have to keep going. Okay, that's great. You give some really good examples there. I'm just wondering if there are other examples from the book that you'd want to pick up on in terms of particularly where we've, you know, we've seen theory being turned into practice, good practice in this area. Well, I mean, I, I, there was um, one, one, chapter who's is actually from um, Bryony Birdie who's a, a senior lecturer at Sheffield where I think it's an, an excellent primer for people to where to get started and she actually um, sort of gives specific you know examples of conversations that they've had and and also recommendations for uh, different uh, reading uh, reading so that the community can can have some background on what the impacts of their colonial legacy you know, what that looks like, and then using that to have conversations of what, what changes they need to make. So I think that's quite useful. I think in the chapter from LSE, they did an equality impact assessment on their reading list, and then um, like a number of libraries, you know, did an assessment of the, the gender um, and ethnic makeup of, of the authors on the reading list. And of course, um, saw that they had more authors from the global north than the global south, so they're looking to address that. So, I mean, some some really good practice uh, across um, institutions and moving forward as, you know, with developing um, and new professionals, I would like to hear what they think we should be doing um, to move this agenda forward along with working with our students. Okay, thank you. Um, how would you define critical librarianship in this context? Well, again, I think when you when you're thinking critically, it is around looking at you know how the you know the cultural, social, historical, and and ideological sort of um, impacts on our practice and 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 surfacing that and, and being quite clear. I mean, listening to Abbott speak about you know sort of social work and the resources that are are used. I mean, I think if you think within that particular curriculum, how important if you're developing social workers to work in a local community, that the the stories that you use the in the research and the case studies need need to be relevant. So I thought it was quite interesting, um, Tracy, when you asked the question about how do people feel when when um as Everett talked about, you know, documenting memory as part of history and how do people feel when they felt that it was non academic. And that's one of the things that we tried to challenge in the book. Um, that, you know, what is academic writing and, you know, versus non-academic writing, who produces knowledge, who determines the, the, the best approach for um, the ways of knowing. And um, I think the strength of the book is that I'm very practical. I'm not sort of an, an academic. Um, so I, it is very much for me about stories and different, hearing different perspectives, being honest about silent, silent voices, whereas just, I think it, it just is very good on understanding the history, history and theory around, around our practice. So I think those, you know, it, we need to challenge what's, what's considered knowledge and how it's, it's, it's produced. And so that's, and that's part of the work of being, you know, of, of critical, critical librarianship, just sort of 
taking all of these, those aspects into consideration and then, you know, presenting it to our students and, and asking them to ask further questions, not just accept it because I've, I've said it, but the, to use that to look at what questions are, ans are asked and also how questions are answered. That's great. That leads me really nicely into a, a question for all of you, really, which is how we take a student driven approach to this and other ways of bringing, I think, activism perhaps into the classroom in a way which actively engages and empowers our students. And um, Regina, shall I ask you to answer that question first? Sure. Well, I mean, it, it create, create an environment in which the students know that it's OK to challenge and ask questions, but challenge in a kind way, I mean, and I'm going to reemphasize this simply because, you know, some of the debates that you'll see on social media, I think, from my perspective, it's okay to disagree, you're not looking to slay people, you're looking mm -hmm. to disagree and to share knowledge and, and, and perhaps, um, you know, sort of spark people to think maybe differently or to read further. So I think it's about creating an environment where people have permission to, to safely challenge and ask different questions. Thank you. Um, Abed, can I just come to you on that question around a student-driven approach and how we empower students in this in this area? I, I agree with what Regina just said about create, creating a space to talk and encouraging those discussions rather than squashing down. Mm. Um, when I used to do training around race, um, one, one of the things I talk about was that that guilt or silence didn't help anyone learn and it didn't change anything. And I suppose in, in, in a classroom or a lecture theater, it's much better to make those mistakes there and to work with rather than almost be holier than holier than thou. But I suppose the other, the other thing that we do in going back to the social work program, so, social action is a central part of social work. You know, one of the foundations of social work is to, to work for social justice. So um, the student group, they're really involved in lots of different bits of action. And it's about letting them, supporting them, but also sometimes saying, yeah, do you want to look at this bit? Just currently they're involved with Welsh Government around student bursaries. And they, there was a discussion at the petitions committee. So it's going, going to the Senate. That kind of thing feels quite comfortable with the social work students. But then I'm dealing with mature students who've worked for a while in social care. So they, they're, they're living this world of inequality and challenge. Mm -hmm. The difficulty, I think, is that on top of that, there are deadlines, targets, pass-fail, expectations, um, politeness <laughs> fitting in. And it's about making sure that that doesn't stop the other bit. The, the other side, so the, this coin's got three sides. The other side is they're stressed, struggling, and they want information. And that's that balance of saying, but what could you suggest as well? So, so the balance of having the conversation. But I think, yeah, just having that conversation. This is where we're at, and this is where we want to go. What do you think about it? Yeah, just that open that open conversation is key, really, yeah. isn't it? I think. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, um, Marilyn. Have you got any thoughts on um, student-driven approaches and activism in the classroom? Yeah. So I mean, when we set up our um, Liberate Our Library 
working group we asked the student union you know to be part of that to be part to have representation from the student union sabbatical officers and that's continued to this day so we, we're trying to, to make sure that we are capturing the student voice through the student union and also we're engaging with student groups who are looking at themselves at you know looking at the curriculum looking at reading lists and coming up with their own solutions to, as to how they can decolonize and diversify reading mm. lists so recently we've had um conversations with a group of postgraduate students who set up the goldsmith racialized postgraduate network and that came about because they just felt completely invisible you know within the institution a you know they you know they thought they were the only ones they didn't know each other they're so it's you know now developed into a really you know strong strong network and which a network which has a voice and they are uh, as i you know indicated they are actively looking at re reading lists as well and working with us they're coming to us and saying you know we've looked at you know sociology we've identified these um, scholars who are not being represented in within the curriculum and they're having those conversations with their their academics as well I mean sorry their lecturers mm -hmm. so you know it's a two-way conversation where the the staff in the, in the department are very much engaged with wanting to work with students in this way and as a sort of a consequence we are then having we've had them come to speak to us in the library just to see how they've gone about you know diversifying and decolonizing their reading list and they've just come up with their own their own way of doing it um you know there's no one tool that everybody's using at the moment you know for the most part people are creating their own tools to do this and they've gone and done that and you know as i, as I said you know we've gone on to purchase books that weren't in our collection as you know as a result of their their work so it's really important for us to be not we're not the kind of the experts you know we are expert to a degree but you know their expertise is looking in a very different way to what you know to how we're looking at things and i think that's really important to make you know to ensure that we're we're not just skewed you know within our our um, profession you know we, may, we need to ensure that we're being as open to um what's being kind of uh, discovered by our, our students as well which then goes on to enrich the collection and then enriches their teaching mm. you know and goes on to enrich future students as well as part of what they're what they're doing so I'm really it's really great to see that kind of activism going on within within the university as well and then something else what we are wanting to look at now is um we used to have a, a student library reps project where we had uh, student library reps across different departments who would come in and get you know bits of a uh, experience across various teams in the library and we want to look at that and kind of relaunch it but with a really you know with sort of liberation first and foremost first you know mm. you know really kind of focusing on that but trying to build it in so keep it's an embedded thing it's not like oh yeah let's do a bit of you know liberation work but just you know trying to embed it a lot more so it's just like it's there and it's in it will always be there because it's probably always going to be needed we're not mm -hmm. going to get to the end of the liberation journey or the decolonization journey. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had 400 plus years and, you know, it's not going to go away over, you know, a few <laughs> years. <laughs> can, I, can I just add a couple of things to what Marilyn Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Closed things for me. Um, and one was that a few of the, a few of the universities that I know who are doing really strong decolonization work 
are doing it in partnership with their students. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know of one that's doing it not with the students, and there may be, but the ones that I think that are working really well are doing it with the students. And the other thing was, it's that point about enriching. We almost had that discussion about diversity, that diversity doesn't mean watering down. Hmm. It means enriching. So having diverse voices or disparate voices or different methods makes you better, not, not less good. Now, that, that feels like a point to, to bang away at. Yes. Absolutely. This isn't making it easier. It's making it better. Yeah, richer, more complex, yeah. potentially more challenging, but more engaging as well, I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And my final question then really to you all is, is, I think, kind of, you know, kind of leads on very nicely from that discussion. It's, and it's around that closer working across those professional boundaries and how, you know, how do we encourage that to happen? Obviously, we've got some really good examples of work going on here already across libraries and across academic disciplines. But do you think there's more we can do to kind of you know, to push that forward, um, Regina? Well, one obvious and practical way is working towards the race equality charter, which, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, and I, again, this isn't an advert for advanced HG, but because it's the whole, the, the whole institution um, is, is, is taking the time to think about our approach to addressing and acknowledging racial inequalities and you know the the framework actually can be viewed as a continuous development tool where there are a number of questions that we need to ask from organizational culture all the way through to our you know sort of teaching and assessment practices um and and again how we use the data because again that is a, that is something that we're um, you know speaking with colleagues across the board we're finding that oftentimes institutions aren't um, capturing data and, and segmenting and, and, and highlighting areas where there are pain points and where there are issues to be addressed. So I think so for us, working on the, the REC has actually, you know, enabled us all to work cross institution to, to, to look at this. Um, and as it happens, I'm the, the chair of the, the rec, this, of this round. We have bronze and we're going to try to go for a silver award. And so we're, this is our second round of doing self-assessment. And this time I'm the chair of the mm -hmm. self-assessment um, team. And I'm, you know, again, libraries is my substantive area, but I've also got that uh, cross-institution assistant chief operating officer portfolio of looking at um, sort of wider customer experience and how we deal with that across the institution. So it's pulling in every, it's just the length and the breadth of the institution. And that's a great way, a practical yeah. way for us all to work together. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, Marilyn, do you want to come in next? Yeah, I totally agree with Regina. You know, it's, all, it's, it's about that root and branch approach. You know, I don't think you can make change without looking at the institution as a whole. And it's never going to, you know, we're never going to shift away from all these kind of systemic biases that exist within our institutions without, you know, going, looking at all areas, looking at all systems. And we're, similarly at Goldsmiths, uh, we're about to start our, you know, race equality charter journey. And I'm, you know, one of the co-chairs of the self-assessment team at Goldsmiths. So, you know, for us, it's about, and we're also, 
at the moment draft where we've got a draft what we call racial uh, racial justice strategic framework mm -hmm. uh, at, at goldsmiths and that came about because of um, a student occupation that took place in 2019 which lasted for four months by uh, you know students of color and out, as a result of that there was um, a commitment to um to a lot of you know the concerns that were raised by students that you know resulted in the occupation around uh, racism within the institution you know we've kind of taken a, a couple of years to get there but mm -hmm. you know as a result we've got this framework now we are about to look you know embark on race equality charter it's just like being answerable being you know accountable without those things in place you know it's really easy to kind of slip or you know you know slow down with this work whereas I think if you're aiming towards these types of uh, standards charter standards then you know there's an incentive to you know, keep progressing and, and driving the work forward. Yeah, it keeps you focused, doesn't it? I think. Yeah. 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 Great. Thanks. Um, Abid? Yeah, I, I have to fight my cynicism about the race equality charter, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, it, it might have been, I was scarred by my experience in local government when we, we got the um, Investors in People Charter, Mark. And it, it felt like the work went into getting the charter, Mark. But what both of you are describing is using that work to make change, to mm. actually change. And, and, you know, we talked about students being involved. It is root and branch, and it's the whole structure that needs to look at itself and to work. And the, the, other, the other bit, just going back to the, the memory bit, here in Cardiff, we're surrounded by diverse communities, one of the oldest Black populations in Britain we need to work with them we almost need to encourage them pay them to come in because mm -hmm. they're doing a lot of that work and they're doing a lot of that story um again when when i was thinking through some notes i was trying to relate it to social work and that that old african saying it takes a village to raise a child mm -hmm. and then we take that child as an adult and we put them into this not a village into this ivory tower and we expect them to learn the village bit, but but we don't encourage the village to come and say. So mm. lots of work. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't really mean we're not doing any work, but we so always need to kick do. up our own backsides. Yeah. And the, the other thing about, I mean, if I can just focus on Cardiff, there are lots of pockets. And we, I mean, we got to meet just almost randomly about conversation about decolonizing. But there are lots of little pockets, and I think because it's a root and branch thing, we need to we need to gather all that and do the work together. And I, I assume, I mean, what what you're describing, Marilyn and Regina, are, are those mm. whole approaches, not just this library or this course or this lecture. All of us working together. Absolutely. Well, we, I can't believe that we're nearly out of time. That has gone so quickly oh. and um, it's just flown by. It's been absolutely inspiring and fascinating. And I want to say thank you to all of the panellists. And also, just if just to give over the final words to you, if there's anything else any of you would like to add, um, I'd just like you to have the final say. So, uh, yeah. I think, and for me, it's just like what Regina touched on earlier, and it's just around looking at other professions. We're looking at libraries, 
looking at the profession, what does the profession look like? You know, we've got very few um, global majority directors in the mm -hmm. UK when it comes to libraries who are in the senior positions, who are in the positions of power to make change, who's teaching on library and information science um, masters. You know, it's about, you know, the people coming into the professional as well, looking at how can we make changes to that pipeline, you know, as part of our decolonization work. I think that's a really important yeah. thing for me as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, um, it's just look at it as, as a marathon and not a sprint, because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it feels like a fad. It starts, it stops, it comes, it goes, it's in, it's out. Um, and then also the same people who always raise their hands to be involved to, to try to solve the problem get burnt out. So we have to accept, you know, our own self-care and hand off the baton when we need to take a break uh, for institutions or for anybody, you know, embarking on this journey. Choose your battles and, and take it one step at a time. If you try to look at the whole elephant, um, you'll just... <laughs> shut down and I don't know go live on an island somewhere and we don't want that <laughs> absolutely Abby yeah. is anything yeah. from you I, I agree with the self-care bit and one of, one of the things I find is that um, having conversations like this are really energizing I know mm. it's stressful and hard to get ready and I've just my cynicism again and I can tell you this because it's going now in the Guardian yesterday, it said that there are record numbers of Black and Asian students being given places to university. And I was in a grump. So I, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, let's paint, let's, let's put some more Black faces on brochures. We fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we can make change inside. Completely. <laughs> That's great. We are coming to an end now. I can see we've got lots of stuff coming in in the chat now as people saying how inspiring they found this session and really appreciated your voices and your time today so i think i'll just echo that and say thank you very much to all of you it's been a brilliant session and we've really appreciated it and i think we can as, as, as cardiff university we can learn a massive amount from what you've achieved as well so thank you for sharing that with us